Hi, ladies. Welcome to the Grace and Courage Essentials in Parenting, a session of the Good Things Conference. My name is Estefana Martinez, and I am a mom like you. I have to admit that I am not a parenting expert. Instead, I am here with the disposition that Paul wrote about to the Corinthian church. He said, I am with you in weakness and in trembling and fear. The understanding of fear and trembling was used to describe the anxiety of someone who distrusts their own ability to meet all the needed requirements, but nevertheless does their utmost to fulfill what has been asked. Doesn't that sound a lot like mothering? We fulfill the good task of being a mother with the humbling recognition that we do not have everything in and of ourselves to do this work effectively, and we are in good company. Paul, whom we know so personally through the New Testament and admire because of his courage no matter the circumstance, identifies himself as weak and among God's people as being in fear and trembling. That, to me, is interesting and gives us a clue into what we can learn. You see, Paul recognized his insufficiency and lack of strength needed for the work God had called him to faithfully complete. That is why God reassures Paul and us that his grace will be sufficient to meet all of our needs and that his power is made perfect in weakness. God's grace is the ultimate need of the human heart and therefore a mother's ultimate need too. During our time together, I want us to explore God's grace toward us and how it impacts a mother's courage. So let's turn in our Bibles to Lamentations 3, verses 21 through 25. It will be our focused text. We are going to look at three ways that God's grace is sufficient for mothers through this segment of Scripture. So let's read it together, starting in verse 21. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. My first point is, God's grace begins with his work on a mother's soul. In Lamentations 3.24, Jeremiah declares that the Lord is his portion. In the Old Testament, portions of land were allotted to Israel as a promise from God. The Lord told Aaron that he would have no portion of land because God himself would be his portion and his inheritance. God was promising Aaron that he would provide and care for all of his needs. For Jeremiah to write that he acknowledged the Lord to be his portion was to say that God was the most important and valuable treasure above all else and that God was his provider. It is evidence of grace on a converted heart to delight in Christ and consider him the best imaginable inheritance. Another example of the new heart can be seen in Mary, Jesus' mother. Luke 1 records her heart's joy as she sings. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Mary is teaching us that out of the overflow of her heart came worship and a personal experience of love enjoyment, reverence, and honor for her Savior. What breaks forth from her is an exclamation of hope and courage. It is evidence of God's work on her heart to love 
and cherish and prize her Lord, and it is exactly what fuels her hope and courage. Those things work in tandem, one stepping stone that leads to another. Treasuring God is the most important and essential that leads to an overflow of hope that ignites courage. Let me repeat the verse again to you from Lamentations 3.24 so you can see the cause and effect. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The psalmist recognizes frailty within himself, but acknowledges God as integral and says, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. God is our portion, secures, and makes steadfast our hope. Without hope as mothers, we can be tempted toward despair, to give up, and to lose heart or courage. We need hope, and our children need hope. Hope is the reason God instructs parents in Psalm 78 to tell your children in the coming generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders He has done. Why? so that they should set their hope in God. Biblical hope is waiting in expectation and anticipation with the express belief that God will transform our trust in His promises into reality. It is different from optimism. Optimism is about choosing to see how circumstances could work out for the best. Biblical hope, on the other hand, doesn't focus on the circumstances. Instead, it rests in God's character no matter the circumstances. It is foundational to our faith. One example of hope amidst despairing circumstances was Abraham. It says in Romans 4:18, even though there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, and he believed the promise God gave him. Abraham rested his hope on God to perform what he promised. So the questions I've prayed through as a mom and as I seek the Lord to discern and if needed correct my heart are these. Is God in his rightful place in my heart and celebrated as my portion, my first love, my greatest treasure? The second question is an overflow or result of the first. Am I therefore placing my expectation and trust solely upon God to perform His promises in His time, no matter the present circumstances? These questions can truly be challenging to answer honestly. When we as moms are in trying circumstances, it can be difficult to remain hopeful. But this is exactly when God's character as the rock steadies our wavering, quivering hearts. The Bible has a record of two sisters whose hope was tested amidst seemingly hopeless circumstances, Martha and Mary. Both are portrayed in the Gospel of John in chapter 11, questioning Jesus at the most dire moment of their lives. They are mourning the loss of their beloved brother, Lazarus. Lord, if only you would have been here, my brother would not have died, both Mary and Martha say. Their present circumstances left them feeling struck down, pained, and despairing. Jesus tells Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live, even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. And then he asks her a very revealing, challenging question. 
Do you believe this, Martha? Jesus was asking her if she truly trusted in him, even in the most dire circumstance of death. And even in that circumstance, he was inviting her to rest in his promise that he was not only present life, but life everlasting. Hope reigns in this story because it rests in God's character to love them and in his ability to fulfill the promise of resurrection because death for the believer is conquered. This story has direct application to our lives as mothers because if you read the account of Mary's life closely in the Gospels, you will see her at Jesus' feet in the midst of all circumstances. We see her sitting at Jesus' feet in her home while hosting a bustling gathering. Luke 10, 39 identifies her sitting at the Lord's feet and listening to his teaching. She is again at Jesus' feet while devastatingly mourning her brother's death in John 11. It says that Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him. She fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. Mary teaches us that in the throes of life's most challenging times, we can go to Jesus. And as we likewise fall at his feet, we can receive instruction to guide our decisions, teachings to make us wise, and comfort from his promises. We can also ask him questions to express our disappointment and healing from pain. It is the Gospel of John that records Mary's lavish, overflowing heart of worship and love for Jesus and her anointing his feet with perfume and wiping his feet with her hair. God incarnate was her portion, her treasured possession, and her hope in all of life's circumstances. As mothers, we also find hope and courage at the feet of our Savior. And I know that it is also the place our children will find hope and courage, too. Ladies, it is a challenge, an honor, and our greatest calling to create an atmosphere of lavish worship and love towards our God in our home for our husband and our children. It begins by humbly recognizing the Lord as our portion because it secures and makes steadfast our hope. My second point concerning grace and its effect on courage is that God's grace continues to abound toward mothers as we seek Him. Looking again at Lamentations 3, it says in verse 25, The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. When we read, study, and apply the Word of God, we are better able to see the redemptive story of the Bible, and we grow in understanding the many intricate ways grace is effectual in our lives. And most importantly, we see that God's grace embodies God the Son. John 1.14 tells us, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son, from the Father, full of grace and truth. It is from Jesus that we receive grace. Grace is covered in the pages of the Bible. And as we open it, we discover so many specific ways Jesus has blessed us with grace. Let me share a few of them with you. 1 Peter 5.10 says that we're called to eternal glory through grace. 2 Thessalonians 1.12 says that through grace we are now given the ability to bring glory to God. We've been forgiven by grace, says Ephesians 1.7. We have the love of God, 
comfort, and good hope by grace, says 2 Thessalonians 2.16. We are given by grace the gift of the Holy Spirit, says Acts 2.38. And we are restored, confirmed, strengthened, and established in grace, says 1 Peter 5.10. With all of that given to us by grace, it is then no surprise that we as believers have the identity of favored or graced one, according to Luke 1.28. Wow, how encouraging and generous is God's grace towards us. As moms, let's gather ourselves around this table of delicacies to taste and see that the Lord is not only gracious, but good. And let's invite our children to dine with us. Deuteronomy 4 9 reads, Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget what your eyes have seen and lest they depart from your heart. Make them known to your children and your children's children. As we open the pages of the Bible for ourselves and for our children, we also become acquainted with who God is. In our focus text of Lamentations 3, we learn a lot about who God is. We see in verses 22 and 23 that he is abounding with steadfast love. It is also written that God is merciful, faithful, and good. We learn that God is eternal. Because his steadfast love never ceases, this implies that neither does he. And as God's mercies remain every morning, we begin to understand that his character does not change. That means God is immutable. He remains the same yesterday, today, and forever. I also gather from these verses and lamentations that God is relational and personal. He is a father. He responds to his children that seek him. And he does so because of grace. The Bible tells us a wonderful story of Moses as he finds favor or grace in God's sight. He passed before him and proclaimed one of the most beautiful descriptions of himself. It is found in Exodus 34. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with Moses there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. A God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands and forgiving iniquity. As we seek the Lord, we grow in our knowledge of God's character. God desires this for us as moms. He wants us to know his character because as we know him, we thrive in trusting him and his ways. As mothers, we make so many decisions for our children, and knowing God's character is the key that makes us move hopefully in obedience to Him. This godly living influences our children because they can see that our strength, wisdom, love, hope, peace, and godliness comes from another. It comes from God. You see, ladies, the Holy Spirit uses the Word to do a beautiful transformation in our lives. And as we seek Him in the pages of the Bible, we grow into the children of God that He has created us to be. We become more and more like Him whom we behold. The Bible says it like this, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. This is a gracious promise made from God to His children. So let's not grow weary in creating rhythms in our lives to consume God's Word for ourselves and with our children.
This not only fuels our hope, but it grounds us in courage. My last point is that God's grace is sufficient for mothers when we face various trials and sufferings. Lamentations is a book that contains grief and sorrow, prayers for restoration, moments of hope, cries for salvation, and displays of confession, all of which are conveyed to God. It was written by Jeremiah to express the deep sadness over the destruction of Jerusalem in 586 B.C. Lamentations isn't a feel-good book. It's actually a collection of five poems of sorrows and mourning. And it's interesting that of all the books in the Bible to discuss parenting, this one was chosen for us to learn from. Surprising to us, perhaps, but not unusual to God, and actually purposeful on His behalf. You see, Lamentations was canonized so that we could not only see an example of a voice of grief expressed in suffering, but also have hope and courage throughout all of life's circumstances. God knows we parent through it all. He parents through it all, too. And centered in the middle of Lamentations in chapter 3, God gives us the exact place where hope is found. Verses 21 and 24 say this, I have hope, and I will have hope. We see both the present tense and the future tense recorded. God is reminding us that he has everything we're facing as moms, today and forever, covered in his faithfulness. Lamentations 3.23 declares to us, Great is God's faithfulness. The Hebrew word for faithful is emet. It is the truthfulness, stability, and reliability of God. That is why he is called a rock in Scripture. Let me read a few verses to you as you interpret God's faithfulness for rock as we use them interchangeably. Psalm 27.5 says, For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. Another example of scripture that we can substitute rock for God's faithfulness is Psalm 61.2. It says, From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Both of those psalms speak of life's troubles and God remains faithful, or emet. Both of these psalms tell us there will be moments when our hearts feel fear and God remains emet. Both of these psalms cry out for a shelter and a place of protection and God will be emet. Both of these psalms recognize we cannot face all of life on our own and God promises us his emet. God's faithfulness is meant to give mothers courage in and through it all. God's emet helps us patiently endure suffering while dependent upon him. It gives us courage to confront sin in ourselves and in our children. It gives us courage to remain steadfast in faith while living a countercultural life. It gives us courage to obey God when it is not popular. It gives us courage to submit to his authority while the world claims autonomy. God remains a met because he cannot deny himself. He remains faithful. When I became a mother, it was in the midst of grieving the tragic loss of my younger sister. And I remember learning how to experience both joy in the birth and life of my son and at the same time grieve a deep personal loss. 
It has been one of the hardest trials I've faced. And through it all, and to this day, I can declare to you that the Lord has remained faithful to me, my sister, my family, and my children. The book of Lamentations, then, teaches us that within a believer's experience, there are cries of sorrow mixed with hope, both existing simultaneously. To drive this point of God's faithfulness even more, let me show you all the different ways God promises to remain faithful to you and me. 1 Corinthians 1.9 tells us God is faithful to call us into fellowship. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says God is faithful in moments of our temptation. 2 Corinthians 1.18 says God is faithful to fulfill his promises to us in Christ with a yes and amen. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24 promises God is faithful to sanctify us completely. 2 Thessalonians 3, 3 tells us God is faithful to guard us against the evil one. And lastly, 1 John 1, 9 promises God is faithful and just to forgive and cleanse us from our sins. Don't our hearts soar as we are reminded of these truths? It is evident and insurmountable that God's grace is sufficient through every trial because He is faithful. In closing, let me reiterate the three points we explored. First, God's grace begins with His work on a mother's soul. Secondly, God's grace continues to abound toward mothers as we seek Him. And third, His grace is sufficient for mothers in various trials and suffering. I think we can appropriately agree with Paul's words to the Ephesian church when he wrote this exclamation. To the praise of God's glorious grace, we have been blessed in the beloved. That, ladies, is the truth. You have been blessed in the beloved, and it is according to God's glorious grace. My hope and prayer in our time together is that you would have been encouraged as we looked at God's grace for you in Lamentations 3, and that you would have been stirred up in courage as you go about your task of mothering. Let's end in prayer. Heavenly Father, you are good, and your grace abounds, and we become sufficient as moms and in any task that you call us to. I pray that we would continue to lean upon you and to trust your emet, your faithfulness, every day of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.